2: There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well. Or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc.
3: Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we're here for a very exciting show. Uh, later on in our show, we're going to talk about low back injuries. We're doing a whole segment on hand fractures, and we're also going to do a segment, which I call Dr. Grossinger's Commentary on the Philadelphia Eagles, where I talk about what I think they should do with respect to the coaching of the Eagles and with respect to the general manager, Mr. Andy Reid. And that might be a a tad controversial. But first and foremost, we have our guest today, Mr. Ray Ellis, the sports director of Voice America Sports. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to engage Ray in a conversation about concussions and, most importantly, about Michael Vick. Because certainly we're all a bit surprised when Michael Vick had a clear concussion and went back to the field last week against the New York Giants and got beaten up pretty good. He didn't have another concussion, but he did injure his head. So,
4: Ray, welcome to the show. Hey, Doc, I'm glad to join the show, but I'm going to tell you, you're right. You said there's going to be a little controversy there when you start talking about uh, the general manager and, and the coach, but I'm going to tell you where the controversy really starts. It's when the coaches start making medical decisions and the medical professionals start making coaches decisions. <laughs> that's where stuff gets all kind of confused. And, and I think that's uh, part of the problem with uh, with Michael Vick. I mean, Michael's uh, performance, Michael's decision to play, you know, a lot of that comes in with, uh, you know, with uh, some uh, input from the coach. You know and it should should it be a medical decision? I mean people were concerned about here 's a man who had a concussion uh, to what degree uh how how bad it was i don 't know i don 't know if they really um, talked about that in maybe you could explain the various degrees of a concussion, but uh, you know here's a man that was diagnosed with a concussion and he played the very next Sunday. The worst thing that could have happened is you could have lost the football game. we lost the football game, so i 'm not sure if it's not a if it's not the best thing to do is to, you know, keep Mike out to make sure that at least when it comes to the concussion that it doesn't create more damage in terms of his recovery as opposed to, you know, putting him out there on the field. No, I I totally agree. And the one thing we talk about, Ray, is the fact that certain doctors
3: work for the team. So we know that all the initial care he got was orchestrated by somebody who uh who's affiliated with the Eagles and there's dialogue with the coach and to suggest that they don't feel the pressure to get him back to the field would be foolhardy. And again, as as a player's rep yourself, we gotta be a little cynical about that. We know there was a so called independent neurologist who came in and blessed Michael and eventually he went back to play last week. But it's interesting they never they didn't even let out the name of who that second neurologist was. So <laughs> The question is, how independent was that decision? How much pressure w- was placed on the doctors by the coaching staff and by the Eagles? And I, th- I think that's certainly an area for discussion.
4: Well, I, I'll say this too, Doc. You know, it's one thing about I've, I've been a player who's played the game, you know, with being less than 100%. And, and you certainly are conscious of what area of your body – is in pain or is is not up to par and and so there's times you'll compensate for that if I, if I, if my left shoulder is hurting then if it's hurting me then I'm not going to tackle with my left shoulder I'm going to tackle with my right shoulder you know pretty similar to what D'Angelo Hall was saying is, you know, when they acknowledged that Tony Romo had some cracked ribs, I mean, he just said it maybe just in just maybe he wasn't. But he said, hey, I'm going to go after his ribs. If if they're hurting, you know, I'm going to do that. So in Michael Vick's case, uh, I, there was at least a shot or two that I thought perhaps maybe, you know, one of them I know was to the head, you know, and, and I think it was the, the one where he perhaps maybe uh, bruised his hand trying to brace his fall or maybe his hand might've got caught in between the helmet. Uh, but, but there definitely was some contact to the head. And and I just, again, I think that if you keep him out, that doesn't happen. If you have a person that is making a decision that's supposed to be independent, that person should be truly independent. I believe a, a year or so or less than a year on Capitol Hill, you had a doctor testifying on here on the Hill that, um, multiple headshots, you know, had nothing to do with, uh, you know, eventual uh, diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease and brain damage by a doctor who, who's supposed to be an independent doctor, but yet still worked on behalf of the league. And Roger Goodell fired him because he yeah. thought that was asinine for that person to say that in front of the whole world, knowing that, come on, man,
3: nobody believes tell you it. You don't thing, have to be a doctor you, to believe I- I told you this, Ray. This was interesting. I went to a seminar three months ago at the University of Pittsburgh, and, and this, um, in fact, the impact testing is very, it, it's all, you know, there's a lot of politics to hear as to what tests get selected by the NFL. I literally heard a doctor speak in a whole room of people, and this is right after Dave Doors had passed, and the doctor said to the audience, and it was athletic trainers and doctors all over you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, team physicians, this was right in Pittsburgh, and, and I told you this, Ray, we, we were both shocked. I, they said, how many people here believe that there's an entity called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which occurs from cumulative hits and concussions, right? And I was the only one in the audience who raised my hand and stood up at that point, and I looked around, and I saw the cynicism around the room. So it's it's the same type of attitude of being an ostrich, bearing your head in the sand, using old data, old medicine. And again, as you allude to with Michael, we know about second impact syndrome. That is, the longer you wait after a concussion, the safer it is for the athlete to return to play. That makes common sense. It's also medically a fact. So if Michael would have had a second concussion, when somebody has a concussion, that causes their blood vessels to become a lot more fragile. He would much be more likely to have a, a cerebral hemorrhage. And this has to do with the calcium, the potassium, the magnesium. Everything in the brain, all the cells in the brain, are much more fragile. And that's why when, when we manage our cases here, when somebody has an abnormal impact test, the you know after he had his concussion, his first test was not back to baseline. So it wasn't as if he immediately went back to his baseline. It was only the second test that occurred on Tuesday, right before the Wednesday walkthrough, where he actually allegedly came back near his baseline. So there, there's, there's some suspicious data here. And, and I agree. I look at Michael Vick as the linchpin for the Eagles. Also, again, I'm, I'm a doctor, not a coach, but again, the fun thing about being a fan is just what it is a fanatic. I certainly, we can certainly step in the rig, It certainly we all have opinions about, you know, whether they should fire a coach or a manager, and certainly it's not as if anybody's going to, you know, implement my, you know, what I say in my last segment here, but the same holds true with, with the medical staff, how uh, it's just unclear how they came to that decision. I think you and I were both surprised about it.
4: Yeah, I, you know, and I was I was surprised because, again, you know, this is just the first quarter Of the football season. The first quarter of a football season is pretty much like the first quarter of a football game. Very few times in the National Football League do you win or lose a football game in the first quarter. You still got three more games. I mean, three more quarters. Uh, you know, to be concerned with uh, in a game. And, and in this particular case, when you look at the season, there's three more quarters of the season uh, to be played. As a matter of fact, this week will be the end of the first quarter of the season. So with that being said, I, you know, I just would have, you know, veered on the side of caution because, you again, you weigh the risk of what, okay, what can have, give us the best case scenario, give us the worst case scenario, and give us just what might happen in the middle there. And, 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 and I think that if they look back up on it, they might say, "Okay, you know what? That was just one game. Yes, it was the Giants. Yes, it was a divisional opponent, but still, the the, uh, the risk of which we put ourselves in, it, when we look back up on it, it really did. We didn't get much benefit from what the choice that we made, except that our guy got banged up. You know, now he's got his hand banged up. So I just think that uh, again, I'm an Andy Reid fan. I, I don't think I'm sorry, but in today's coaching. There's not a football coach out there in the National Football League that you're going to give me that I'll take him over Andy Reid. Now I know Belichick's got a few more rings than Andy does. That That's OK. Uh, but I'm not going to take another coach over Andy Reid at this particular time. I, I think he's doing a good job with the team. I think he's made some good decisions. Uh, even earlier, I think, I don't know if you heard us say, but even those two times he decided to go for it on fourth down, I think Andy thought that his team, would get that damn first down. And so that wasn't a coaching decision. That was execution on the players. They didn't execute those plays.
3: Right. Well, I would say this there's, there's no coach that prepares the team better for the game. My quarrel with, with Andy Reid is that it, he is still the same coach. And according to Tom Coughlin, he said he saw, he looked at seven hours worth of tape. So according to them, they know his tendencies. They, you know, and it's nothing, you know, it's true with any coach. And that's why when, you know, you, you know, as an Eagles fan, we can't get over the top. So allegedly, when Coughlin saw certain formations, he knew exactly what they were doing. And, and that, you know, and it's true with anybody. So I think a lot of times, I, you know, it's, there's time for a change. Whether you're running a business, whether you're running a restaurant, there's times to change the chef. I personally think Andy Reid certainly is very knowledgeable. For the most part, is a good general manager. As far as game time decisions and play calling, like like many of the uh, like many fans, I think he tends to you know, overpass. And in, in this week, certainly, um, Lashawn McCoy was was having a great first half, and, and I didn't see a reason why not to continue him bid into to the second half. Even at the goal line, Lashawn, McC- he's he he's a wizard down there. The way he was picking his holes and the decision to run Owen Schmidt just straight ahead, you know, again. The linemen should have blocked. They should have been able to block for a two-yard gain. And if they did their job, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But certainly, that's one of the fun parts about being a fan is to second-guess the coaches. I certainly believe Andy Reid is much better than an average coach. But the question is, does there come a time when a change is necessary uh, for for the sake of a change and for some new blood or for some new ideas? That's certainly something we could debate.
4: Wow. You know if if I didn't know you better doc i I would say that you'd be calling for Andy's job right about now. That's what it sounds like a little bit. Well,
3: I won't say it would be the first time, but in any and I, and I've met andy and he's he's actually a good guy, but i I must say I was very disheartened. I was at the game and and I was very bewildered disheartened by the coaching as well as the execution. And and I'm hoping, the, the one characteristic of Andy Reid is he bounces back. So I'm hoping, I will give him his props. I'm hoping they can come back and even things up, you know, you know this week against San Fran. And, and, and then I'll certainly, you know, I'm a big Eagles fan. I'll always watch them, whoever's coaching. But in any event, it looks like the time just flew by in our first segment here. So I want to thank Ray Ellis for joining me for the first segment of Bruce the Sports Talk. I hope the listeners, I'm sure everybody has opinions about um, you know, about the National Football League and about the Eagles and their own teams, but I just want to thank everybody for listening. As a lead-in, we've got, we've got a whole session on low back, a whole thing on hand fractures, and a bit of a commentary on the state of affairs of the 2011 Eagles. So, Ray, I want to thank you for joining me. Have a beautiful week, and I look forward to talking to you next week.
4: It's my pleasure, Doc. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much.
2: Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist, serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportstalk.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceThesportsdoc.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grosinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the
0: Sports Doc. We're dealing with a very important area now, which will be... Injuries to the low back. This can relate to your sports injuries or other types of trauma, such as falls at work or car accidents. This is an area of extreme expertise for grossing or neuropaid specialist. If you are within driving distance of the sound of my voice and you have a low back problem, whether it be a disc, whether it be a spinal cord injury, whether it be a car accident or a work accident please call us for consultation 610 521 6063 again I'm Dr Bruce Grosiger let's start out with the types of injuries in the low back i like to think of three different main injuries in the low back that are serious number 1 injuries to the discs okay and they include bulging protruding or traumatic discs that's when the inner core which is the nucleus pulposus, essentially ruptures and breaks through the outer part, which is called the annulus fibrosis, excuse the Latin. And what happens when a disc breaks out is it moves into an area where a nerve lives, a nerve root. In Latin, the word root is called radic. So when there is a disc problem or a bone spur, which presses into a nerve root in the spine or alternatively if there is a tremendous force particularly a flexion and extension force to the spine that could actually tear or partially tear the nerve cables the nerve cables are oriented such that there's an inner cable which is like the inner part of a wire that's called the axon and there's an outer cable which is called the myelin so we've talked about different injuries what disc injury That's one type of injury. Another type of injury is direct trauma to the nerve, stretching or pulling. If the nerve actually gets pulled out of the spinal column, that's called an avulsion. That leaves somebody with a flaccid limb, either an arm or leg, and total weakness. A nerve root avulsion, regrettably, is a very serious problem that's very difficult to treat. Another problem with the lumbar spine is called the facet syndrome. That is, the interconnected joints are called facets. And in the same area, there are little nerves called median branches. And what happens is, there's injury to those joints and those nerves, and there's usually multiple levels of injury. So our treatment usually involves treating multiple levels, a three on average. So when you have a patient that comes in and tells you, I have back pain, morning stiffness, and you examine them, and they have tethered overlying the facet joints. That's what we call a facet syndrome. When Tiger Woods injured his neck last year, he did not herniate a disc, but he had a cervical facet syndrome. He required treatment for that problem and eventually recovered. So when we think about it, we look at the back. In the midline area, we see midline discs and nerves. We also think about the facets which is a vertically oriented group of multi-level nerves and joints. Finally, it's separate and distinct, something called the sacroiliac joint. When the pain is either on one side or both sides, unilateral or bilateral, and when I put my finger right on what we call the dimples of the back, otherwise known as the sacroiliac joint, the posterior superior iliac spines, and there's extreme tenderness there, or alternatively, If there's unleveling, when I look at it carefully, if one of the sacroiliac joints is way higher than the other, I think about something called sacroiliac joint syndrome. Sacroiliac joint syndrome, how does it compare with the other entities? It typically does not radiate down into one or both legs. It's not radiating in character. It's not a radiculopathy. That's the Latin word. Also, it's usually in a different area. It doesn't go up the spine. It doesn't affect multiple levels. It basically is such when you put your finger on the SI joint, there's pain. And there's also two other tests called the Patrick's test, wherein you do a maneuver to the hip and the leg, and also something called a Lasegue's test, which is another provocative test we do in the office. When those tests are positive, they can support the diagnosis of sacroiliac dysfunction. Well, how do you treat sacroiliac dysfunction? Number one, anti-inflammatories, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, myofascial treatment, even general manipulation, either osteopathic manipulation or chiropractic manipulation. And also, we do both diagnostic and therapeutic injections. In the operating room, we do this in neuropaid specialists. We take a needle, we place it down an x-ray beam directly at the SI joint, and we inject a powerful anti-inflammatory and local anesthetic agent. When that relieves the pain, that's a positive diagnostic test and there's also a therapeutic component. We usually do up to three injections in the sacroiliac area. Okay, let's go back to diagnosis number one. Disc injuries, lumbar root injuries. How do we treat that? So how do we treat herniated discs? Number one, At the core is a good clinical exam. There are rare cases that represent true surgical emergencies. When somebody has an acute injury to their disc, they herniate it, and they develop an inability to pass urine, or they develop constipation, that is a true emergency. That indicates the likelihood of a spinal cord involvement, or what we call a cauda equina syndrome. That's a big word in Latin. Cauda equina relates to the horse's tail. In that case, we send them to an immediate surgeon who usually does a decompression. They remove the disc with or without a fusion to stabilize the spine. That's unusual, however. 95% or greater, we start off conservatively. Anti-inflammatory medicines, muscle relaxers. Physical therapy, rest, stretching. Second-tier treatment. We do epidural injections in our office. That means in an operating room, We place a needle at the level of the disc, above or below it. We inject corticosteroids, local anesthetic agents. We usually do two or three of these injections over a period of four to six weeks. In our hands, the epidural injections have a 70% chance of significantly impacting on the patient's problem. They don't remove the disc, but they usually can induce a relative remission, and they allow the patient to continue their activities. So, review. Disc injuries. Unless there's a true surgical emergency, we use physical therapy, medicines, injections. We also believe gentle mobilization, which can be done by a physical therapist or can be done safely by a chiropractic physician, are very important tools in the treatment of lumbar disc injuries. We talked about sacroiliac dysfunction, pain in the butt, literally, and these problems are treated by medicine, mobilization, and injections directly to the sacroiliac joint. The way we do our injections, we use a special x-ray machine called a fluoroscope, so we have actual pictures of the needle, we can see where the medicine is going, and we can follow that up and we can share that with the patient. I believe at the core of the treatment of low back injuries is good communication, Interaction between the doctor and the patient. And again, we can see low back injuries at a host of scenarios. We can see them from car accidents, work injuries, and particularly in the sporting environment. Oftentimes, it's a twist. It's an acceleration. It's a deceleration. It's a slip and fall. We see it a lot in the wintertime. Black ice, head over heels. I landed on my back and... When they come to us, we have to decide whether it's a serious neurological injury. Another class of back injuries are the non-serious variety, what we call the simple strain and sprain, soft tissue injuries. These injuries get better, typically in four to six weeks. They require no formal um, injections or surgical treatment. They often don't require even CAT scans or MRIs. They usually get better with rest, anti-inflammatory medicines, something called a Medrol dose pack, which is a methyl prednisolone pack over five days, gentle physical therapy, chiropractic care, and time. So if it's a simple low back strain, they get better. However, we see so many patients who are told by their doctors or by whomever, don't worry about it, you have a simple strain. They go ahead and they get evaluated. They get a careful exam by a neurologist. We find they need MRIs. And it turns out that they fall in the other category of the more serious big three. Lumbar disc injuries, nerve injuries, that's one category. Lumbar facet injuries and sacroiliac injuries. We're going to reinforce this particular discussion on future dialogues with you, the listener, at Voice America Sports, this concludes this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I will continue to help you journey through Nervland, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I thank you so much for listening.
2: Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist, serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at BruceThesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceThesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports,
3: Voice of America Sports.
2: You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportstalk.com. Now... Back to the show. Welcome
0: back to the third segment of Bruce's Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm going to devote this third segment to an analysis of the Philadelphia Eagles. You might call it a critique or a commentary. I'm going to lead off with my conclusion. My conclusion is that this should be the last year that Andy Reid coaches the Philadelphia Eagles. After 13 years, it's clear that this cat doesn't have any more tricks in his bag. It's clear that the other teams could game plan for him. Let me give you the reference for which I speak. The reference is an Atlanta game with a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. And the defense put together seemingly with the same old fallacies. It seems that Andy Reid and Joe Banner don't value the linebacker position. They never have, and they probably never will. They've got lucky that they've had some good linebackers. Going way back in the annals, Carlos Emmons, the last good cover linebacker. You could go way back. You could look at Jeremiah Trotter, a beast, a great tackler, a leader. There are no Jeremiah Trotters on the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles. So, you have to place blame or give accolades to a coach, and in this case, a general manager, for putting together a team. We give Joe Banner and we give Reed credit for assembling a team of great free agents. Jason Babin, who's had Three great games, three sacks. Colin Jenkins, a defensive player. They do put value in defensive edge and defensive tackles. Colin Jenkins, a beast, a sack artist. A very good acquisition for the Eagles. We look at Ronnie Brown. Once a first-line running back. Now, I think a very average NFL player, not a bad player. He's lost his step. For some reason, Andy Reid isn't using him on short yardage downs. They they opted to dust off Owen Schmidt, a guy who had a total of three carries in his NFL career as a fullback. They literally ran him four times yesterday, three of which had catastrophic results. That is, on the goal line, running Owen Schmidt straight into the line. And what was yielded from that? was either no gain or a two-yard loss. That is the crux of the loss yesterday of the Philadelphia Eagles to the New York Giants. Let's get back to our Andy Reid hypothesis. He was completely outcoached yesterday by Tom Coughlin. He was totally outcoached by Mike Smith. And in every big game, Andy Reid is outcoached. How can we forget the Tampa Bay game? John Gruden. Tampa Bay came in as an underdog. It was the last game in the vet. Certainly the coldest game I can remember. And what did they do? They laid an egg. They were ill-prepared. And yes, we have to lay a lot of blame on Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb, I believe, had a great football career, but had one tragic flaw. Whenever it came crunch time or under pressure, Whenever the big game came, he would be erratic. His lack of precision in passing took the stage. And he would either throw it into the turf or throw it in an uncatchable place. So yes, this has been the Reed and McNabb show. Now that McNabb has been removed from the equation, we have only Andy Reed left behind. We have problems on both sides of the ball. We have problems with clock management. Andy Reid has problems with play calling. Marty Morningwake appears to be a clone of Andy Reid. They seem to think in unison, and usually that involves flawed thinking. They typically have an aversion to running the football. Take yesterday, for instance. Shady McCoy ran the ball effectively in the first half. He was their biggest weapon. Inexplicably. Without injury, they decided to move away from the running game. That is, to move away from LaShawd Shady McCoy and to go with the great Owen Schmidt. That showed catastrophic results. Also, after Mike Vick broke his hand, they opted to do what? Run him straight into the line two times. Not surprisingly, his non-throwing head swelled up to the point where he couldn't even take a snap. And at that point, they put in Mike Kafka. (laughs) They ran a play for him where he would throw the ball deep into double coverage, and what was the result? An interception, an immediate interception, an immediate buzz kill, an immediate immediate drive kill, and the game, for all intents and purposes, was over. Tom Coughlin, in his post-game press conference, noted, that they literally had hours of film on Andy Reid. And Andy Reid is a, is a, is a coach that shows certain tendencies. When Todd Coughlin, Tom Coughlin showed certain formations, when he saw it, he knew exactly what they were doing. And that defense was well prepared for the Giants. But what did they do? They stuffed the run. They sacked Michael Vick. They held our biggest weapon, Deshaun Lightning Jackson, to two catches and rendered him insignificant the punting game was was good for the Giants but look here let's go back why do I say that Andy Reid must go as a coach firstly another catastrophe drafting Watkins out of Canada offensive lineman I'm sure he's a very good fireman literally can't get on the field he's only played organized football for four years And there's also some talk in the media that this man cannot grasp the offense. He's very anxious about coming in, and perhaps with due due cause, that he knows he could get Michael Vick killed. So when you blow a first-round draft pick on a 27-year-old fireman from Canada who doesn't get on the field, that constitutes a major error as far as being a general manager is concerned. Drafted Casey Matthews, a very undersized linebacker, in the fourth round and then anointing him your starting middle linebacker. Is it fair to Casey Matthews? It certainly has had disastrous consequences as every team has run the ball down the Eagles' throats and has also used a screen pass which is a form of run in order to chew up huge chunks of yardage. Amon Bradshaw destroyed the Eagles yesterday. No middle linebacking. Why? Andy Reid doesn't value the spot. Joe Banner, the capologist, doesn't believe that they should put value in the linebacker spot. And you get what you pay for out there, folks. Nam the Asinois, who I believe to be a great player, hasn't seemed to grasp the Juan Castillo defense. The Eagles' defense. And that brings us back to one of the fundamental problems I have with Andy Reid. For the first time in the history of the NFL, a very good offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, has been moved to the other side of the ball, that is the defense. And not in a coordinator capacity, not in an assistant capacity, but actually as the actual defensive coordinator. Responsible for calling the plays on the field. Responsible for hiring and managing managing the other coordinators, putting together the game plan. And what you can see now is that this wide nine defense that they're running just is showing to be like a submarine with screen doors. It looks real wide, and there's plenty of holes in the offense so or the other team can pick at spots. And with poor safety play, poor linebacker play, Trading Brian Dawkins to the Denver Broncos. The heart and soul of your team. A free safety you could cover and hit. Another devastating bad move by Andy Reid. Kurt Coleman. A very intelligent, well-spoken guy who so far hasn't shown the ability to tackle or hit. A complete breakdown between the linebackers and secondary. The other teams are running all over the Eagles. Victor Cruz, an undrafted free agent who had caught three total passes in his NFL career, caught two touchdown passes against Nami Asabwa, including an acrobatic spinning catch on the goal line. Devastating. Andy Reid, certainly... Deserves a Hall of Fame for his press conferences as one who literally tells the fan base nothing, who literally scoffs that anybody should even have a clue, that the fans would have any idea of what was going on, and essentially, gratuitously dismisses the questions from the media, sarcastically ended his press conference yesterday. Just shy of four minutes. Folks, it's over. The Philadelphia Eagles will never win with Andy Reid as their head coach. Clock management. Poor play calling. Too much pass to run. Poor drafting. Stubborn refusal to put linebacking in the defense. Same unimaginative play calling. Same boneheaded, wasted timeouts, poor clock management. This team may well have a winning record. The fannies at the link will fill the seats. And again, frankly, the Philadelphia Eagles fan base has always supported the Eagles, even in the face of Swamp Fox, Marion Campbell, even Joe Musko, Q. Harrick, even Ray Rhodes. If you remember, Ray, from an offensive standpoint, we're not making plays. From a defensive standpoint, we're not making plays. That was Ray Rhodes. That summarizes his stewardship as a head coach. But guess what, fans, and and those who are not fans of the Eagles? It's time to replace Andy Reid. It's time for him to go. This is the end of my soliloquy on the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles and why Andy Reid
3: must go.
4: Your internet flagship station for sports...
2: Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist, serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610 521 6063 or visit com Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice
3: America Sports.
2: You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at Bruce Now, back to the show.
0: Welcome back to Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a clinical neurologist who practices in the Philadelphia area. want to thank you for listening today. Just to recap our show, we started off with the sports director of Voice America Sports, our very dear friend, Mr. Ray Ellis. We broke down the Philadelphia Eagles, the catastrophe that was. We talked about Michael Vick and his concussion and the decision to send it back without any rest, essentially. Um, however... We did discuss the fact that this was a mild grade one concussion and that apparently he passed all the impact testing and was cleared by multiple independent neurologists. We talked about the state of affairs of the Philadelphia Eagles. In this final segment, I want to talk a bit about hand fractures. I want to talk about anatomy of the hand. And I want to point out that obviously I have not treated Michael Vick, but I've read whatever I can in the short 24 hours since his hand fracture yesterday. You might recall that he completed a pass to Jeremy Macklin for 18 yards, and then on his follow-through, he hit defensive end Chris Canny, and his hand struck the face mask. He actually played two more plays. He actually ran into the line uh, twice. Unfortunately, it was like running into a brick wall. With the Eagles offensive line, he went nowhere. He went and got an initial x-ray, and the initial x-ray was negative for fracture. So this proves a point that when there's a hairline fracture, often with swelling, you might not see it. But they were smart enough to repeat the x-ray later in the day, yesterday, Sunday, and they found that they had a hairline fracture. Let's talk about hands and let's talk about head fractures. Firstly... The hand is made of the fingers, which are called the phalanxes. Then there's the metaphylages, which is an intermediate structure, a long bone that connects the fingers to the broad part of the hand. And then there's the carpal bones. The carpal bones are a deep set of bones, two rows, which are situated deep to the palm. Any one of these structures can be subject to the most common fracture that we see in the emergency room. That is the fracture of the hand. There are different types of fractures. From all reports, there was no displacement of the bones for Michael Vick. This is what we call a hairline or non-displaced fracture. Thankfully for Michael, this type of fracture is the most minor type of fracture and usually heals the fastest. Other types of fractures are Compound fractures, that is fractures that involve breaks of multiple bones. There are spiral fractures where there's a spiral twisting and usually a malalignment of the bones. And this is a very tough type of fracture because it often requires intense surgery. That is something called external fixation where essentially there's surgery, And then there's there's a fixator outside of the bone that looks like an erector set. And internally, there's usually plates and screws in order to fixate the bones. So that's a bad type of fracture. Also, open types of fractures often break the skin. You might recall Joe Theismann. Ugly femoral fracture. It broke through the the skin. This was a fracture caused by Lars Taylor. Well, that kind of fracture can happen in the hand as well as in the leg. And that's called an open fracture. There's a type of fracture where the bone is literally pulled off of the ligament. And there's often a free fragment. That's, caused, that's called an avulsion fracture. So, again, let's review. The mild kind of fracture, the hairline fracture, there's no displacement, rotation, or breaking of the bone, is called a non-displaced fracture. Then there's a compound fracture with multiple bones, There's a very bad type of fracture called a comminuted fracture. And this kind of fracture occurs with multiple fragments. And oftentimes, the, the little bones can actually be broken into a pulp. We see this with devastating high velocity injuries. We see this with, uh, patients who actually, who fall off of scaffolds, who have missile type injuries, airline crash victims, uh, bones are fractured into multiple fragments. And that's often called a... Well, that is called a communited fracture. So we'll talk about Michael Vick for a moment. And he had a non-displaced fracture. Often the initial x-rays are negative. The follow-up x-rays are looked at carefully, and we can see that there is a fracture. A CAT scan is a computer-reconstructed radiological type of image that uses x-rays. And that often gives us multi-dimensional views of a bone. So today, Michael Vick will undergo a CAT scan. This will show us the depth of the fracture. It'll show us the exact bone that's fractured and whether it involves the spongy bone or the hard outer cortical bone. We'll see if there's any fractures that evaded detection from the x-ray. And following this CAT scan, a doctor that is usually an orthopedic hand surgeon or a plastic surgeon who's a hand surgeon will usually take the lead in treating patients. But as a sports doctor, I must know about fractures and how they're managed. Well, let's talk about early treatment of non-displaced fractures. Ice, elevation, and rest. Oftentimes, casting or splitting. So Michael Vick might undergo a cast or a splint. Usually the duration is anywhere from one to four weeks with an athlete. And there are certain types of casts that could be worn during play in the NFL, usually by non-skilled players. That is, not that the linemen don't have skill, but usually offensive and defensive linemen don't usually handle the ball. So you often see offensive and defensive linemen with hand fractures coming back to play soon thereafter, usually not the same day but maybe a week later, and you'll see a big bulky cast, usually with a gauze wrap that's covered with a big cast, and that's to protect the hand against further injury. However, if one is a skill player like Michael Vick, it has to actually receive the snap. You can't do that with a bulky a bulky cast. And in fact, Michael Vick, in his post-game press conference, admitted that he had trouble taking the snap from center. And it was the swelling of his non-throwing head, that is his right hand, that precluded him from returning the play. So for a non-displaced fracture, the typical recovery time is two to four weeks. With respect to Michael Vick, more data is necessary. We'll find out the CAT scan. And we also have the confounding factor that Michael Vick noted that he did get hit in the head a lot. It didn't appear that he suffered a second concussion, but he did suffer trauma to the head. He appeared to be fairly cogent, though uncharacteristically irritable in the press conference. Now, what does that mean? Patients with concussions will often develop mood irritability. And Michael was really, he was vetting on the refs. He was alluding indirectly to the ineptitude of his offensive line, and he was really frustrated. Now, could that be just frustration? Could it be the effects of a concussion a week later? That would be speculative. So I don't want to be dogmatic about that. But in any event, you're asking me, how would I manage Michael Vick? I would keep him out for at least two weeks more. I would keep him out for two weeks in order to fully recover from his concussion, in order for him to recover from the battery he took physically and emotionally in the Giants game, and in order for his head to recover from the be casted. And I think it would do the team and Michael Vick well for him to get a break. I wouldn't throw him back in the Wolves, even though they're playing the 49ers next week. You're still playing an NFL football team. You're still playing at home. There's a lot of expectation. The fans yesterday at Lincoln Financial Field were demoralized by watching the game. And I believe the team, unfortunately, looks like it could be headed either for a pre- precipitous downward spiral or, as is the case with Andy Reid, a cat who has nine lives, they usually rebound well after a loss. And they might take the week in preparing either Mike Kafka or Vince Young and just going with the backup quarterback and letting Michael Vick, the $100 million man, letting him heal up and letting him, you know, perform. That is, when he comes back from his rest. I don't think, with a broken or swollen hand, concussion, bruises, I don't think it will turn out well if they try to rush him back next week. I don't believe also that Michael Vick will require surgery for his hand. He won't require screws and pins. He won't require... The setting of a non-displaced fracture or a spiral fracture. From all accounts, this is not an avulsed fracture where the bone is ripped off. So in that case, he's lucky. What was described was a swelling on the top of his hand by a layman reporter. So we talked the top of his head. I presume we're talking about the dorsal aspect of his hand. They didn't indicate whether it was the phalange, the metaphalange, the metacarpal, or the carpal bones. And Andy Reid, as usual, was rather cryptic in his very brief post press conference. So, that is our show for today. We want to thank Ray Ellis for contributing live for our first segment. We want to thank all the listeners. And thankfully, there are an enlarged group of, of people out there, listeners, who are tuning into our show. And I want to thank you all. We're trying to keep the show informative but interesting, at times funny and silly, at times somber and serious. Thank you so much. Have a great week. And we'll look forward to speaking to you next week, Tuesday, 5 to 6 Eastern, 2 to 3, Arizona time. Have a great week.
3: And bye-bye.
2: Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grosinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.